on this episode of the Rough Draft, uh, we decided that uh, you know Christmas time is coming, the holiday season is around the corner, and uh, I personally love the movie Love Actually, so we're talking about romance, and that's the entire basis of why. So uh, I've got more people than we've ever had on mic at once, right? Yeah, but now there's four of us. There's me, your host. Hi, I'm Aaron. I edit this crap. <laughs> um, I'm Cam. I'm the interview manager. And I'm Alyssa. I'm the lead copy editor of the York Review. <laughs> yeah, so I guess the first thing we should do, um, I mentioned my favorite romantic comedy of all time, Love Actually. It's so bad, it's so good. Fair enough. <laughs> Do you guys have, like, favorites? Like, what, what's your personal, like, relation to the genre? Are we just going off of Christmas because of the season? No, I mean, you can, but if you if you like, like, a different romantic comedy that's not a Christmas movie. I'm gonna be incredibly cliche. Uh, I don't watch that much romance or anything with that nonsense, but Mamma Mia is a classic. Yeah. It's just a classic. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, recently, Netflix has come out with, like, really bad Christmas, like, romance movies. Are they, like, Hallmarky? Yeah, like, really Hallmarky. Oh. And I just, like, binged, like, three of them in one night. Um, one was, uh, the night before Christmas, like, night being, like, K-N-I-G-H-T. Um, <laughs> yeah, everyone's oh, just, like, making okay. faces. It's, like, real bad. Yeah. Um, and that one, I wouldn't call it my favorite, however, it's, like, one of those movies that's, like, just so bad, it's good, and it has, like, those, like, fantastical ideas of, like, oh, like, time travel, and, like, you know, Christmas magic is real, everyone, romance is real, everything is perfect, and wow, they belong together, his like knighting duty is her and it's just like okay <laughs> it was a lot to watch however it was i watched it twice once by myself and then my um roommate wanted to watch it with me um so we watched it uh together and just watching it again solidified how ridiculous it was however it was so again, so bad that it's good. <laughs> oh, um, guess I gotta go. <laughs> um, so I watched a lot of romance, like movies, anime, and all that stuff. Not because I was like into it, but always like growing up with my big sister, she watched a lot of romance, so I had to watch a lot of romance. I remember, um, Pretty Woman, um, yeah, Pretty Woman. Um, it was something else with, oh, it was stupid. That's what it was. Um, <laughs> God, you know what? Romance cool. I, I love seeing people be happy with each other, even if it can be unrealistic. I think it's cool. I think one of the greatest things, because we are coming up on, you know, the Christmas season and the Hallmark movies, 
Oh no. <laughs> I've, I've, I've found my phone and I've pulled up IMDb's list of every Christmas Hallmark movie. Oh no. <laughs> score higher than a 7 out of 10. I have I've seen a bunch of six points and occasionally dipping down to a five, but uh, um, <laughs> these titles are just the most cookie cutter generic. Like the first one on the list is 2015's A Christmas Melody, which is a title that means nothing. Yeah. Then uh, the next one is a 2016 TV movie, Looks Like Christmas, which means even less somehow. Um, I've also seen uh, uh, Love You Like Christmas, uh, My Christmas Dream, Broadcasting Christmas. There's a little, a little twist. And, like, the fact is, like, you could see any of these movies and they're all the same sort of, like, I'm a big business busy lady, and I, but I've got to go to my small hometown for Christmas. I've got no time for romance. No time for romance. I don't even like my family. My dad's so quaint. Oh, they've put it on me to go pick out the Christmas tree. Oh, who's this buff dude doing like, pulling, like, like uh, chopping reminds... down the trees? Yeah. So meat cute, and I just kind of like. Ugh. And then at the end, one of them is Santa's child or some shit. Honestly, that reminds me of the Princess Switch on Netflix, which, from the title, like how you just said, like, oh, one of them is Santa's child. Like, one of them is a princess, and they switch places, and I'm like, it's like Princess and the Popper, basically. It, yeah, it's <laughs> except this, Christmas. <laughs> except Christmas. Wait, we have a we have an above a seven. Oh, what oh. is it? Uh, seven point two, twenty fourteen's The Nine Lives of Christmas. Is that like someone who's someone a, a cat? cat? <laughs> oh no, it's these two people, and they. Twenty fourteen is the Nine Lives of Christmas. Uh, uh, it is TVG in terms of rating. Right. It's eighty six minutes long. Comedy, drama, and romance. After a stray cat adopts Zachary, he meets Merrily and realizes the single life is not as fulfilling as he thought it was. So a cat brings together two people in an unlikely circumstance. They're both holding cats in the poster. But I don't understand why they didn't bring up her cat. Huh. <laughs> that reminds me of 101 Dalmatians, because, like, the two people get to get together because of their dogs. <laughs> the the dogs like, are like, let's be a family, and they're like, okay. Yeah. Out of all the facets that come with, like, the cat mythos, yeah. why is nine lives the one they went with? Are these cats going to die a bunch die? of times? Yeah, is it going to be like... Is it going to be like the a dog's purpose? Christmas yeah, day. that's what I was thinking. Oh, dog's purpose. Because that's like that. the the pupper keeps really getting reincarnated. It's one of the very few movies that actually like gave me feels. What was your favorite uh, Christmas romance movie, Erin? Uh, I have not actually seen any Christmas romances because I find Christmas romance specifically to be trite. If we're talking about capital R romanticism, though, it's a Christmas Carol because everyone wants a good ghost story during Christmas, and I swear the Muppets one is frickin' hilarious. Oh yeah. Uh, 2008's The Most Wonderful Time of the Year got a 7.3. Hmm. Love Actually is a great movie because it's so bad, but also, like, it's it's a specific type of bad we don't really get anymore, you know? Yeah, because it's bad because of the problematic, um, 
like themes in it. There's a lot of that, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of everywhere in romance. Like the guy pursues the girl usually with such a single-minded purpose that it's almost stalkery, if not directly stalkery. Well, yeah. the thing about Love Actually is that uh, there's a bunch of couples. And yeah. that's definitely one of them because Love Actually has that scene where he's standing outside the door with the cards and he's like pretending that it's carolers. That's kind of weird. Yeah, and especially because it's, like, his best friend's wife. Yeah, they just got married. And, like, he was the videographer for his best friend's and, uh, he... uh, wedding. And, like, he only recorded his best friend's fiancé at the time. So and during the wedding... And he did the video because he was ashamed. And he was gonna, like, watch it, probably. Like, I mean, like, it's implied he's gonna, like, continuously watch, like, the wife. Because it's just like, ooh, it's recordings of the wife and I'm in love with her, obviously. Um... <laughs> And also, like, the thing that I immediately think of in Love Actually that's, like, really problematic is, like, the prime, the Prime Minister character. Because he's just like, oh, I'm in love with my secretary, so, like, I'm gonna fire her. And, like, uh, make yes. her lose her job during Power Christmas dynamics. time. And it's just like, why are you gonna fire her and make her lose her job during Christmas time? Just, like, like, stop like lose your feelings for her just like she needs she needs her job like oh my god the other thing about that is a bunch of minor characters keep calling the secretary character fat yeah and she's first of all it, even if she was at least minorly like overweight that still would be like a bad thing yeah but the other thing is that she's not she's not she's like maybe like a little like curvier than most of the other characters mm -hmm. But, like, everyone else is like, oh, fucking lard-ass, like, oh, she's kind of, she's kind of eating a lot, isn't she? And, like, the Prime Minister is supposed to be the good guy for being like, well, I, don't, I don't think so, but also, like, have you looked at her? She's yeah, like, In case you guys couldn't tell, this is the non-scripted We Are Going to Swear episode, so you have been <laughs> warned. <laughs> we swear all the time on this show. Can we I? do, but I have to cut it out. Anyway, um, <laughs> but the, my favorite thing about Love Actually is the the one they cut from. It, it's the plot line they completely cut from the, the TV version. From the TV version. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Um, did you see the TV version or like the DVD version? No, I've just watched it on Netflix. Okay, did they cut Martin Freeman out? No, they didn't cut Martin Freeman out. Martin Freeman's plot line is. Oh, the that one's cut out. That gets cut out in the TV version. Oh my god. I mean, that oh, makes sense. Context? Because like, okay. I have so. not actually seen this movie. <laughs> okay, so, so basically, so, 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 so. the yeah, two yeah. of them meet because they're just, like, cut-ins as, like, porn, like, um... <laughs> okay, so Martin Freeman and, uh, who's named John, and, uh, his Love romantic interest, interest uh, Jane, um... Oh, yes, classic names. Um, well, they're such minor characters. Martin Freeman is a uh, uh they're not porn actors yeah they're not they're the people who come in before the porn actors do to let the director line up the shot ahead of time yeah and so they're fully clothed for them uh, at the beginning uh um just like oh john you stand there uh uh jane you stand in front of him and this is kind of the scene so just vaguely mime that so we could line up the shot and then like they're in these positions and john's just like Uh, and Jane's like, oh my god, I know, it's the worst. And they're just doing this small talk while she's, like, bent over in front of him. Um, and then you hear the director in the background be like, uh, John, can we get, can, can, can we get this? And he's like, oh yeah, sure. And 
uh, it cuts back to them several times over the course of the movie, and they're just doing different stuff. It's genuinely so funny because at some point, like, he genuinely has to just like have his hands on her tits, <laughs> and like, and they're just having just, like, a casual conversation. Yeah, and it's so funny because he's just like before he does it, he's oh, just he like, like, <sighs> like he's like warming up his hands before he touches his her boobs, and then like. Like he's just like going like this, and, like and, like moving around his hands like in a circle on her boobs. But and it's, it's so e- funny. It's even funnier because at the end, the crux of this entire movie is at a Christmas concert put on by uh, one of the schools in the area, and a lot of the main characters are connected in some way because a lot of their kids go there, mm-hmm. or they have family who like work there or whatever. Um, and there's Basically, this all the plot lines like connect the plot at the end of the movie. There's stuff like um, Liam Neeson is brothers with uh, um, who's you? No, Liam Neeson is the sister of. No, Liam Neeson is the brother of. Oh, you're right. I'm uh, um, of <laughs> Liam Neeson is, is definitely <laughs> Alan, Alan Rickman's wife. Yeah. Uh, so Alan Rickman's wife is Liam Neeson's sister, and like, there's all this like intersecting stuff. Yeah, and but... Liam Neeson's sister is um, the. Is something with the prime minister? It's like it's a lot. Oh, they're like, are they, are they also sis- siblings? Yeah, they're siblings. Like Liam Neeson. Wait, no, no, no. The sister. Liam Neeson's not brothers <laughs> yeah, with the prime minister. It's a lot. Guys, guys welcome to uh, the six degrees of separation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Listen, basically. Every actor in England at the time was in this movie. It was so cool. <laughs> and Liam Neeson. Like Snape, and <laughs> I will find and, um, uh, the the kid uh, Thomas Brody Sangster from. Uh, uh, he was in Game of Thrones. He yeah. was in Maze Runner. Yeah. Um, and he looks the same. Um, but <laughs> no, uh, there's this scene where like all these, uh, all the plot lines, everyone's walking up the steps. But even though they cut out Martin Freeman from from the TV version, he's still in that last shot where everyone's walking up the steps. What? No, 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 like because they cut out all the bits because obviously they're like nude in those scenes. But. They still get their own shot of them walking up the steps and greeting one of the other characters who I guess they know. It's and so, so everyone watching the TV version is like, why is Martin Freeman in this movie? Oh my god. Um, there's also the plotline with uh, the, the guy named Colin. Uh, oh, he's the British that, guy. that one's real problematic. <laughs> uh, he's like, I can't get laid in England. I'm gonna buy. I'm gonna use the last of my savings to buy a ticket to well, America. Well, no. Here's the thing. Like, he's married at the beginning of the movie. Is he? No, yeah, he's not. Yeah, he's married at the beginning of the movie, and then his wife cheats on him, and he's no, just no, like, no, no, gotta no. go. Oh, no, I think no, 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 no. Total different. <laughs> oh, no, gosh. you're thinking of Colin Firth's character. I'm talking about the character named Colin. <laughs> Colin Firth is uh, a writer whose wife cheats on him with his brother, so he flies out, or he drives out to like Portugal. Yeah. And, and like, and d- takes like a vacation, and he falls in love with the housekeeper there, who who's like speak twenty. English. And he's like forty. Yeah, and she falls in love with him, and there's a scene where like his gets dumped in a river and there's like eels and stuff yeah and um, then he's like proposes to her in like her language and it's just like oh my god that's so cute but it's just like you've known each other for like a couple weeks so it's just like it's not cute but whatever anyway i mean, I mean girls got like get that bread you know um, <laughs> and like but it's a cute thing where like they teach each other each other's language or yeah they, they teach well, no, themselves he learned... each other's language yeah so like she learns english for him, he learns, like, Portuguese for her. No, yeah. I'm talking about the character named Colin, who's this British dude who works, like, a bunch of jobs, and his only connection to the story is that he's friends with the director of oh! the porn. Um, oh! Yeah. Like, like, they're friends, um, but he's, like, 
English girls don't like me. I'm gonna fly to America. All the American women love us. And he flies to like Minnesota. And he gets laid so much. Like you really think that he's not gonna get laid. You you are not rooting for this kid because he's just like, oh, you like. And then he walks into the bar and there's like Victoria's Secret model looking women hanging out. Yeah, and like all of them are just like, oh my God, say table. And he's like, just call out table. And they're like, oh, his oh accent's so cute. And then they go home, and they're just like, oh, there's only one bed and here. Is that heating, okay? And we so we'll all have to huddle together. And, and then they have, like, a fucking foursome. Like, what so the fuck? It's so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> I'm worried about the microphone level at this, at this point, guys. <laughs> I, I, I turned us down. I turned us down. <laughs> all right. Amazing. That's, I might have to watch Love It, actually, after that. <laughs> okay. But why, why, why is romance always so problematic? Um, why do we use these tropes, guys? I, th- I think gendering. It, it it functions into how romance exists in you know the culture. Yeah. Like like because uh, a lot of people see romance as just this uh, end goal. An end goal, something that they need to get by a certain point. Yeah. Um, and to do that, they can sort of force themselves into types and yeah. roles and stuff and that's always going to be a problem i also think especially because like um romance is seen as like an end goal so much in like our society like um like olivia was saying at like the beginning of the podcast like oh like in christmas romance movies is always seen as like oh like i'm like a like uh like the main character is always um seen as like oh i'm like the rough businesswoman i don't need love i don't i fucking hate my family um i don't want to go to this small town i don't want to buy a christmas tree and then she goes and she's just like oh i am soft actually and I love this man <laughs> because he has big muscles. <laughs> and, and it's just like, I think that trope is damaging for women to see because it's just like, it, they're told like, hey, don't follow your dreams. Go to that small town and fall in love with that man. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it's like, what? Like, like there's an, an undercurrent to a lot of those that's like, why would you try to be anything else yeah you know but i think because i mean like the entire time that we've been talking about this we've been very aware that these films are ridiculous so because of our awareness that these films are ridiculous i think it's safe (laughs) for us to be watching them and be like we love these movies however they're awful (laughs) and we know that not at all Exactly. Yeah. Like, we know that these films are awful, and, like, we don't want to be, like, portrayed portrayed as these women. Um, and, like, these women are, like, not, like, the um, perfect women to be uh, esteemed as, like, the women to be looked up at, towards. So, like, we're aware of that, and, like, that's fine, you know? I mean, Love actually even has that scene in the end where the kid, Liam Neeson's kid, just breaks through airport security to like run oh after God. a girl. Mm-hmm. And he and Liam Neeson's like, and this kid's like, like eight. covering for the guard, like covering the guard. Um, and it like, Love actually was released in early two thousand and one. Them two thousand com Love comedies was so terrible. It wasn't terrible. This one was terrible. Okay. <laughs> it was really terrible. Well, at least all of them I watched. It was like, 
like problematic. That's that's basically what it is. It's like, oh, let's go to the coffee shop. Oh no, my ex brother husband mother there. I'm like, <laughs> what? It's like why though? I don't know. So, uh, cause I seem to somehow be like an impromptu question asker at the moment. Um, what do we think about romance from non-Western cultures? Cause Cam briefly mentioned being forced to watch romance anime. Uh, what, what kind of tropes are we seeing that connect these two things? What's different? What's maybe worse and or better? Let's talk about the handmaid. <laughs> oh no. Not Handmaid's Tale, The Handmaid, which is a good ass movie. Okay slightly better um i've i was half asleep when i was watching it but it's gay mm. it's these you know two ladies um and one of them is like the other one's handmaiden um and it's set up that they, they like grow this deep care about each other but like part of the 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 crux of the movie is that the handmaiden um, she just goes out and she just kills a bunch of the guys who are bothering her girlfriend. It's mm. great. We need more of that. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine love actually, but every time but somebody calls Natalie fat. <laughs> the Prime Minister was just like off with their like, fucking head. <laughs> um, speaking on the East culture of um, romance, like anime. I watch a lot of anime, so We've excuse me. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So you know, uh, but um, this is an audio podcast. Cam is sitting in a corner, literally on the floor. <laughs> it's comfortable, but <laughs> I think anime definitely show like the worst side of romance, and I love that. Like, bro, I love that. Like, it's <laughs> I forgot that one anime. I'm gonna just talk about types real quick, cause. If any of y'all heard like what's a tsundere? Oh my god! Or, no. Yeah. Okay. That Aaron, is. The- Aaron, you actually oh. don't have any slack on this. You say that shit in D and D campaigns to my face. Ooh. It is the worst. <laughs> oh my god! A tsundere is so funny. It's. Uh, I'm I'm just thinking of the um, mother's basement series of like the the PSAs of what to do if you find yourself in a harem system because it's treated like a weather system mother's basement uh, the youtube channel yes yes oh man i'm just thinking of that right now (laughs) i mean let's be real there's a lot of stuff that is like a cultural shift that is like weird to us like uh when i was younger um i would see a lot of people sort of poking fun at like uh japanese ads because they were like, oh, it's so weird. But then I would always be like, well, we have those Old Spice commercials. <laughs> oh, man. Like, that's basically the same thing. Like, Japan definitely has commercials that aren't like that. It's just a, a cultural thing. We think the Old Spice ones are normal and funny because they, you know, tap into certain things that we, uh, um, we perceive as being like, oh, that's out of the ordinary, but that's like a, a, an American thing. Right. And for, you know, those weird Japanese commercials like the the Japanese Spongebob commercial where the kids just like lose they just losing their shit like he's like oh my god a toy Um, that's (laughs) weird yeah but also like touches on some cultural touchstones for them and romance and its depiction can kind of be that same concept yeah the 
quest tends to function off, at least from my understanding, the grief concept of love lines, which is like uh, platonic, uh, philadelic, which is family, um, romantic, and then you also have like mania as well, which kind of falls in the other version of, of the dairy. I'm not sure if you're going to talk about yandere's at all. Oh, I was getting to that, but thank you for spoiling <laughs> Yandere's? Oh my. You want me to talk about it or? I just want to bring up the fact that they exist and people aspire to have a Yandere girlfriend. You do realize that she's actually psychotic and will isolate you from literally everyone. Like genuinely psychotic? Yeah. Yeah. Like, 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 it's a whole thing. You know uh, the, the trope of, if I can't have you, no one can? Yeah. It's that. Times it 10. to extreme. Like, you even talk to someone of maybe even the same gender as you, and the yandere will murder that person. Because yeah, it's, no one can have you but me. It's a whole thing. It's just a whole thing. I think it's awesome. Nah, <laughs> I'm not trying to be like... Of course, nobody wanted a yandere girlfriend. But... The appeal, the uh, appeal, because love, I say this, I say this, <laughs> Olivia, <laughs> I hope you got that sound. Oh, we probably did. <laughs> I say this, ah, I the, num- the number about? one thing about love or romance is attention. <laughs> Times ten. Right attention. No, but, but any attention, that's all I mean. I can see the, the appeal of it. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> We're not going to cut this out either. <laughs> She's going to butch- bust your ass. Like, <laughs> Olivia is giving Cam the most stinky of stink eyes right now. <laughs> we can debate this what right now. We can debate this. That's not what this podcast is Okay, about. okay, Chill. okay. Chill. Chill. I want to bring up one thing. Just talking about the Greek aspects of love. Obviously, the platonic relationship is named after Plato, one of the philosophers. Unfortunately. Famous. Plato <laughs> sucks, but he was also one of the philosophers of the time, and they call it that because he wasn't having sex with his students. Like, Oof. like, a platonic relationship with someone is defined by the fact that you're just friends because every other philosopher at the time was fucking their students. We are looking at you, Socrates. Yeah, but a Socratic relationship is extremely funny. And I don't know if you've heard that definition before. But a Socratic definition is where you ask someone a lot of questions really annoyingly, and then they try to poison you. Oh, it's like a Socratic seminar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's I the know. wrong kind of attention in love. We don't want that. We don't want you thirsty, thirsty man. Socrates just be like, and what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And at some point you just stab him, and that's a Socratic relationship. <laughs> Ah, uh, my ex. It sounds like, like, <laughs> siblings, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, familial love is a thing, but also, sibling love is a different thing. Yeah. Mo- most sibling relationships that I have experienced have been based on love, support, and crushing rivalry. Yeah. Like, you can hate your siblings' guts, but in most cases, when someone else picks on them, it's the how ride or die. fucking you're, you're dare you. That's so true. Yeah. Um, I was always like... So, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast. I'm not sure if I have or not. But I was always the poor kid in like a rich school. And that meant I went to school with uh, uh, parents who could afford to have a bunch of kids. 
Um, ah. <laughs> and so I went to school with a lot of, like, big families. Like, I would have uh, uh, these kids in my class, they would be twins, they would have, like, a couple older brothers. Um, and I would go over and hang out at their house all the time. Um, because I wasn't bringing anybody over at my house. We were poor. <laughs> it's, everyone I went to grade school with had a chandelier in their front hall. Like, that's... that's like, a requirement? Like, everyone had a chandelier? Yeah, every single... Like, I don't know if they were... It was, you had to. <laughs> it it's non-negotiable. It, it wasn't a requirement, but it was the case. Like, they all had nice enough houses. And we were living in, like, a fucking rental for, like, 600 a month. Mm. As a twin, I never understood when other families had other like children other than their twins because like i <laughs> like, we had two at the same time and that is enough yeah that was, that was literally my parents because they were just like we did it we had the two fuck it we're done <laughs> well these, these were like doctors and like lawyers and shit yeah my my dad's uh, works at an airport as a baggage claim person like <laughs> and my mom does like shipping my dad was a methodist pastor <laughs> woof we're woof. poor <laughs> yeah but I, I would always see like this, this sibling and i would i would always have this understanding although it was kind of hard to grasp at times that these siblings like would be absolutely ride or die for each other yeah but also like just beat the shit out of each other whenever they could i fucking like oh my god the amount of injuries i've had because of like my sister and i beating the shit out of each other like oh my god all right let's let's bring it back to like romance yeah probably (laughs) so that was familial love specifically between (laughs) siblings who want to beat the shit out of each other but if someone else fucks with your sibling i'm gonna stab a bitch right yeah yeah Alright, so we were kind of talking about romance from other cultures, and we brought up specifically Japanese culture, and I've been doing some kind of research for fun on these sorts of things. Uh, um, So we're just going to completely not talk about some aspects of interpersonal relationships that come with Japanese romance comics especially we're just we're not gonna talk about it it's gonna stay in the closet we're not gonna do that um but a lot of their beliefs about romance have less to do with this western like aesthetic desire where you see someone that you find attractive and then you pursue them and it's more about relational depth like how well do you know a person uh and you can also kind of see this in their language because if you don't know someone and you respect them you have a different suffix at the end of the name than if you are peers with them um or if you are in a mentor relationship with them or if you are in such a close relationship that you just straight up call them by their first name nothing attached to it um so yeah there's there's a lot of interpersonal connection you know what i like about the sort of like japanese language um i like how their pronouns work because uh, they, and correct me if I sort of misstep on what the case is, but like they have certain pronouns that have der- certain connotations. Mm-hmm. But roughly, if you call yourself by one like set of pronouns, everyone calls yourself the same thing. There's no like a difference between like they don't have like an I and a and a, and a like a like a he a she a they. They have like like if you use this set of pronouns, that sort of implies like some sort of like like boyish like toughness. But if you call yourself that, everyone else calls you the same thing. Yeah, it's it's generally like that. Um, 
I mean, there's more like formal ones. There's definitely the more formal ones. It's also considered neutral. Yeah. On principle. Like so some are used more by certain demographics yeah. than others, but you can do kind of whatever. Uh, in general, female presenting and feminine people will be more formal, so they'll use watashi, which is I, uh, me, myself, which is more feminine, but it's also more formal. And then you have the soft-spoken, which is technically neutral, masculine, which is boku. And then you have the very, like, I'm gonna kick your ass tough boy, ore. Right. And then you have, like, the country bumpkin, which is oira, which is like, I don't care about what you think of me. I'm just gonna pronounce things with an accent. <laughs> right. And it's like, like, it, but if you call yourself by the tough one, the, the ore, um, then other people will just say ore, too. Like, yes. It's not like you say I and you say you. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't remember what it is for ore or watashi, but it's boku and kimi. So kimi is you. And it's gender neutral. And I, I think there's a certain level of expression that's allowed by that, you know? Like, like there is a con... Like, with our English language pronouns, there is the connotation of gender. Mm -hmm. And there's some of that with the Japanese pronouns, but there's also the, the connotation of sort of personality. Because, like, you can honestly tell a bit about somebody if they refer to themselves by ore rather than boku. Or... And also if they roll all of their r's. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that allows sort of, sort of, for the deeper sort of like, like it's some of this is a similar concept to what you were talking about, Aaron, with the the uh, um, the depth of uh, relationship. You know, it, it's more about the personal interpersonal than our sort of, you know, aesthetically minded uh, minds. It's also might be some of the reasons why a lot of Eastern cultures or cultures that depend on interpersonal relationships have romances that are slower paced uh, have a lot more to do with one person connecting to another person and like the, the conflict is not a will they won't they of getting together and screwing like it is in the Western culture but it's more of a will they actually meet on common ground? Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why freaking romance anime is so popular is because you can drag that shit out and milk it for all it is worth over the course of 24 episodes in a first season, and you can still start the status quo back at square one in the next one. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things, because we're, we're, we're getting pretty long here, uh, one of the things I do want to talk about is sort of like the way that romance in America has changed over time. Um, specifically referring to like I mean what is viewed on what it what has been designed to be viewed as like the crux of romance marriage mm. even though like you can have like a lot of people think that marriage is what we're talking about it's, it's 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 end goal yeah but like you can have a perfectly fulfilling sort of life romantically without marriage you can mm. have like you know partners and people have done that for a long time especially when they weren't for one reason or another usually some facet of their identity uh, uh, not allowed to marry but the fact is that like uh, even going back to what color do you associate with a wedding white yep. the bride's white dress the you know uh, um, idyllic sort of color um, that only came about because uh, I think it was Queen Victoria mm -hmm. it, uh, was. it was Queen Victoria who wore a white dress at her wedding and so that became the in thing Yep. If you were anybody, you could afford a white dress. Uh, yep. Peasants, commoners... Couldn't would, afford it. Right. They'd just get married in the barn. They'd yeah. just be like, hey, we're married now. 
but over time it's been sort of um, commodified uh, uh, particularly looking at uh, um, not going to name any names the De Beers Diamond Corporation uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the fact is that uh, um, marriage could be just an agreement it didn't have to ha have this item but now the diamond ring is the thing to propose with because De Beers ran this really successful ad campaign in the 30s and 40s that said, if you're going to do it, do it right. And it hit so well that that is just the thing now. That is almost an entirely Western, particularly American concept of the diamond ring. So that's actually another thing that kind of interests me in, in relation to the ring is the placement thereof. Because it is in Europe. Um, and I know from just the time I spent in Germany, like in, in England, and my dad spent in Germany, that they wear it on the other hand. Really? Uh, yeah. So, like, an engagement ring and a wedding ring go on the, I think, left I don't hand know. in America. Yeah. But it's on the right hand in Europe. Like, at all times? Pretty much. Oh. Um, which seems just kind of interesting to me about, like, why that's the cultural thing. Because when my dad first met my mom... He thought she was married and or engaged because he got so used to seeing wedding bands on the right hand that when she was just wearing a, band, a ring yeah. on her right hand, he, he thought she was with someone. And then eventually you got to the point in the relationship where she threw napkins at him and he says, I love you too. So we wear it on the left, right? Yeah, Americans? We do. Yeah. yeah. Do you think... Now get this. So here's, a, here's an incredibly hot take. <laughs> Do you think you wear it on the left hand in America because we drive on the left side of our cars on the right side of the road? So that passing drivers, you're next to the window so the sun will catch it <laughs> oh and you my can God. drive it better. British drivers do it the other way because they sit on the other side of the car on the other side of the road That's a with lot. it on the right hand. That might have been like the style of it initially or something, but it's just kind of become... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I always think of it as like heart proximity because everyone's like hearts on this side of the body, rings on this side of the body. Yeah. And by this side of the body, I'm I'm slapping the left side of my chest. So do when actually it's closer to. The so do British people have their hearts on the right side of the body? Is that <laughs> <laughs> the association? Maybe it was a movie or something where it was on the the left hand and everyone just copied the movie. Yeah. Because let's be real, pop culture really does affect how we view love and ourselves, which is why we're even talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, uh, I think that's a good place to So let's wrap it up wrap with up. like the famous people that you always do, Olivia. Yeah, so what's up? Um <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to the rough draft. Uh like, comment, and subscribe. Um We have a YouTube channel. We do have a YouTube channel. Hopefully um, Ken can get this out in time. Yeah, so uh, uh, I have never thanked you guys when you're in the same room before, except for Cam. Um, Hi, Cam. Thanks no for being problem. A, a stellar interview manager. No doing, problem. Doing all those all those great interviews. No. Uh, thanks to Aaron for editing. Um, I did not make it easy. Mm. Um, I very specifically, in, unintentionally, did not make it easy. Um, uh, thanks to Alyssa for being here for this one, I guess. <laughs> thanks to Alyssa for being, like, you know, the copy editor of the part of the York Review that I do not interact with. <laughs> like, um, I'm sure you guys do a great job over there, but I have not been in that classroom more than five times this semester. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> you have the office space and you're just gonna use it. Yeah, like I got a special key to this office. I'm using it. Um, but thanks for, you know, popping in every once in a while. Always yeah. good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> um, this episode's coming out on the 16th and we looked it up and that is the birthday of both uh, Ludwig van Beethoven and Jane Austen. So happy birthday to them. Uh, um, Usually I write these out, but we're just kind of freestyling oh, it in the episode. Oh, uh, what about our Latin? Oh, send-offs? I don't, I don't know Latin. <laughs> <laughs> the ironic thing is, I think that was supposed to be the last Latin phrase we did. Was I don't speak Latin. No, I, I, I think I pitched that as I, I'm just going to say I don't know Latin in English. Um, I did. So you know, we've come full circle. We did. Finally, I can die. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.